and worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. And worthy is the Lamb who was slain. says God reigns over all the nations for he is seated on his holy throne 
For the kings of the earth belong to God and he is greatly exalted. You reign in all the earth. You reign in all the heavens. You're holy. You're seated on the throne. Nothing can stand against you. You're
My shepherd, I shall not. In green pastures, he makes me lie. He restores my soul and leads me on for his name.
Sing, I believe. I believe in the sun. I believe in the risen one. I believe I overcome by the power of his blood. Amen. Amen. 
Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? We doing well? Yeah? Well, we welcome you here to church. Let's have you stand to your feet if you would. If you're at home watching us, uh, we welcome you here to church today. We're going to sing a little bit about John 3.16 here. Come all you weary, come all you thirsty, come to the well that never runs dry. Drink of the water, come and thirst no more. And come all you sinners, come find his mercy, come to the table he will satisfy. Pay attention to this one here. And bring all your failures, bring your addictions, come lay them down at the foot of the cross. Jesus is waiting there with open arms and sees us. Life is all I'll fly. 
conference that is coming up in November, right? We're so excited about it. It's going to be at the, the, oh, I'm so excited that you're excited. It's going to be at the Oregon Gardens. And ladies, um, our prayer for this conference is that God would light a passion in our hearts for God's word. And with that in mind, we've asked Jen Wilkin, author and Bible teacher, to come and share with us, and she is bringing her teaching assistant, Elizabeth Woodson, with her. We are so thrilled to provide this opportunity for our women and for the women of the Valley. And just in case you didn't know, registration opened this morning. So you want to get online and do that as soon as you can. We're looking forward to it so much. Also, are there any kids in the auditorium? I see some. I see some. Kids, I got to tell you, it has been a huge joy to worship with you in big church for the last several months. It's been awesome. But I'm also really excited to tell you that D6 is opening for all ages next Sunday. And, but we're going to miss you. 
but we're glad that you get to go to your classes. And so are the parents, right? <laughs> also, cause kids, wherever you are in this room, it, it has been, again, a joy to worship with you these last several months. But we're excited for you as well because cause will be opening up next Sunday, second service at 11 o'clock in the chapel. And I know that you have been patiently waiting and so next week is when you get to start doing that again and we're thankful for that opportunity finally parents our pastors are going to be offering another segment in this series no longer afraid and it's going to be september 2nd in this room thursday evening at 6 30 and they're going to be talking with us about how we can face the coming school year, whether you have public school kids, private school kids, or you're homeschooling. This will be relevant for you because they will be sharing from God's word encouragement for us. They'll also be giving us tips on how we can navigate the culture that we find ourselves in today as far as school and our kids go. And finally, they are going to be sharing with us how the church can partner with you and help you navigate those waters. So exciting things coming, and we're looking forward to it. But right now, we're just really looking forward to continue to worship. Yeah, thank you, Julie. A lot of neat things coming up. Psalm 104 says this, says, I will sing to the Lord all my life, and I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. So may the meditation of my heart be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. And, and I don't know about you, but if you, if you ever stop and think about what God has blessed you with and how good he has been to you, it can be a substantial thing. I, I think about this, and I'm almost kind of drawn to tears just thinking about how good God has, has been to, to me and my family. And so I want us just to be thinking about that uh, this morning as we continue in worship. I love you, Lord. You know your mercy never fails me. And all my days I've been held in your hands. From the moment that I wake up until I lay my head, I will see of the goodness of God. And all my life you have been faithful. And all my life you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, and I will sing of the goodness of God. close like no other. Have you been there? I've known you as a father. I've known you as a friend. 
goodness of God. Why don't we all stand to our feet and sing this to him? And told my life you have been faithful. Gotta trust him. And tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Just to take him at his word. And just to rest upon his promise. And just to know the Savior. And Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. And Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust. I'm so glad, yes, I'm so glad I learned to trust Him. And precious Jesus, say your friend, and I know that He is with me. 
He will be with. Believe it. Me to the end. And Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I prove Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, for grace. And so for grace to trust him more. You can take your seats if you'd like. My foes are many. They rise against me. But I will hold my ground And I will not fear the war I will not fear the storm My help is on the way My help is on the way It's my God He will not delay My refuge and strength
difficult? What about when disease or cancer strikes the house? Where do you go? What do you do? I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. What about that bill? You're not sure how it's going to get paid. Where do you look? Where do you go? I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. What about when anxiety paralyzes you? What do you do? I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. How about if your kids walk away from the Lord? What do you do? I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. lift my eyes up. I lift my eyes up. My help comes from the Lord. And it does and it should. And Heavenly Father, may we be those that run to you with anything and everything that this life might bring. I see so many faces out here, people walking through so many different things right now. God, but we pray that they would look to you, that we as a church would look to you whenever things go sideways, when things are going good, no matter what happens, whenever it happens. That's what you want from us. And sometimes you're calling our attention. God, I would would pray that you would help us to be those as a church body to come around people that need to know your love and support and care. We are to be your hands and feet when moments of distress come, moments of difficulty come. God, we're so thankful that we are secure in you. We look forward to looking into your word this morning and even talking about that more specifically today. We pray that you would help us now, open our eyes, help us to listen, not what our will is, but what your will be done in our lives. I pray that's the prayer of our lives and our hearts right now in Christ's precious name. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you, AJ. What a wonderful time of worship. Thankful for you. Thankful for your team. thankful I get to be with you all. This is good. The other day I was at my, uh, my daughter's house, James and Amanda, and my little grandson, it was 4th of July, my little grandson Henry's two. He, uh, he said, Papa, could you come in my house with me? I said, uh, it's a pretty small house. It's a plastic house. <laughs> said, you could try. I went, Okay. So he climbs in, he's sitting on his little bench in there, he's got some rocks, and he's looking at the rocks and showing me rocks, and I climb in that thing, I get down nestled, looking at him, and he goes, get out. (laughs) Big smile on his face, get out. Let's hope this goes better than that. Here's the thing. Some of y'all got those uh, memory cards, 
I've already gotten people saying, now what are you doing with this? Are we supposed to have this memorized before we get to the end? No. And none of you, some of you go, are you going to call me up? No. Um, we'll get to, at the end, I'll tell you what that's about. That's a tangible for you to take out of here because I think this is going to be helpful. Man, it's a blessing to be with you. I'm so thankful to have this time. Pastor Pete uh, preached last week on one of the enemies, flesh, right? And then here we're doing eternal security right after that. And then next week, Satan and the cronies. Why would we stick etern- you know, eternal security right between the flesh and Satan and the cronies? I'll tell you why. Because this topic right here, this truth right here will meet you all the way down the timeline. Getting this right is huge. I've been with a lot of people on their deathbed. Let's just cut to the chase. And if we don't have this right, one of the cronies shows up and whispers something to you. What if you're not even saved? What if you lost it? What if somehow you sinned in such a way that the reason this is happening is God's given up on you? Pastor Ron Schaefer, who used to be the pastor, senior pastor here for 20-some-odd years, as he was battling cancer, he taught this truth. When he was laying in a bend hospital room, said, I was laying there, and a voice came, are you even saved, Ron Schaefer? This, this will meet us now in any kind of circumstance we find ourselves in and take us all the way home because this is God's truth. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for these precious folks, for the folks that are watching, these precious folks that we get to gather together look into your word, and know the absolute truth of the security that we have as your children. And in this room and with those watching, we have people that have not placed their faith yet in your son and for all that he accomplished on the cross for them. And I'm praying this morning, Lord, that you'll have your way in their hearts, that they'll see your love for them, that they'll, it will be impact them down to their very core, that it'll wake them up to the truth as we look at this lost and dying world and that there's attacks coming from Satan and the cronies. And in the midst of this, they would say, I need the salvation. And all of us would cry that out each and every moment remembering the gospel. So have your way this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as preparing for this, it just, it was awesome because I, I was just thinking about what's at stake. And I actually talked to some of you all. I'm looking at one gentleman that talked with me the other day, right? I told him about the topic. And one of the things he brought up, what's at stake? Well, there's this. There's some of us that think we've gone too far, done too much, that, that it ultimately God would never want me. I've done, I've, done, I've done too much darkness. I've been involved in too much for God to want me. No, that's not true. We're going to look at that today. He wants to meet you right where you're at. Some of you walking with Christ over these last 16 plus months have found yourself struggling in ways that you didn't struggle before this hit. And now you're wondering, where do I stand with God as I've drifted from him? Here's the reality. We're going to look into this. What's at stake? You having joy and peace and be able to walk through each and every day remembering the gospel and getting all the way to the end of this thing where we are in resurrected glorified bodies and we're all looking at each other saying, isn't this awesome? And he took us through all of that and never gave up on us. That's what's at stake. So we, we come here uh, and, and I, I've just been thinking about the reality that there's so many great illustrations and illustrations are a window into your soul. The reason that we'd give you an illustration is to take it next to scripture and have you go, oh, I get it. I see it. Like this is important. 
Like I need to grab a hold of what God's word says, but that illustration actually really helped me. Back in 2002, I was walking through Safeway and I, I saw this magazine. This is the very one. And it was uh, Life Magazine, Mobsters and Gangsters. Huh? And I thought to myself, well, with the folks that I, I have a tendency to work with, uh, you know, kind of a rougher crowd, because um, I, I, I basically work with men. <laughs> and then I also lead the Addictions Victory Group here at Salem Heights Church. And back then I was working with uh, high schoolers, college age, and all sorts. And so I looked and I went, maybe there could be a good illustration in that magazine. I think I'll invest in that. So I bought it. It was stinking expensive, even in 2002. But I didn't get very far into the magazine when I found it, the illustration. Let me read it to you. I think you'll, you'll see where we're headed just, just for a moment. Now, it's got all of these people that were terrible people. And then it comes to a section on the first gangs of New York. Now, some of y'all saw that movie, Gangs of New York, and the name I'm about to say is not the Maggie in that movie, okay? So just so you know, that was a movie. All right, here we go. This was a real person. The first and the most famous Irish hoodlum organization was the 40 Thieves, begun in the 1820s and run by Edward Coleman. They operated out of the back room of Rosanna Pierce Center Street grocery store and dabbled in everything from pickpocketing to murder. The gang even organized a school system training youngsters in the 40 Little Thieves how to burgle. An orphan named Wild Maggie Carson headed the Little Thieves for a time, and then, catch this, this is Life Magazine, I catch this, this is so good. She headed the 40 Thieves for a time and then was saved at age 13 by Reverend L.M. Peace, who mentored her until she was adopted by a good family. And I went, boom. Because I thought, Life Magazine said she was saved. They could easily have said, and she ended up uh, being talked to by a Reverend, and she ended up with a different life. I just thought, wow, look at that. Just a few lines, and that's it. That's all they talk about her. But we have this thing called the internet, even in 2002. So I started digging. <laughs> and I found a journal page from the people that adopted her. Let me tell you about that. I, I, just, I just love this. As, as I was working through it, it, has, it had this... As I looked her up, I didn't find a ton, but it said this. With plain features and disfigured by smallpox, Maggie was sullen and disagreeable. Her matted hair, filthy dress, and compulsive habit of rubbing her eyes with clenched fists made her repulsive to almost everyone but her gang of unwanted children. Maggie and her gang would slip through windows and doors left unlocked, taking loot back to older, the older bunch of thieves. Her sinful nature left Maggie wanted by the law, angry and unapproachable. Anyone who approached her was met with a silent stare or a scream to be left alone until the Reverend L.M. Peace reached out to Maggie and built a relationship which led him sharing the gospel, which Maggie accepted. She then went to Five Points Mission, an orphanage, and through a series of events met Mr. and Mrs. Howe, who ran the mission. They, then considering bringing wild Maggie into their family, reached out to her and said, would you want to be a part? When approached by his wife as to whether they should adopt the former criminal, Mr. House said, never mind, I know all about her. The more reason we should care for her, I would rather take one of the worst, for the triumph will be greater when we succeed. Man, that good? That's not Bible, but that's really good. 
Let me pray. Father, awesome God, as we're here and we're gathered, as we open your word, as we look into the perfectness of what you've said in your word, have your way with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. We're going to be turning to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 14, and then we're going to read Ephesians chapter 2 after that. Now, I'm not going to have you stand because there's a lot here, and I know some of you, uh, if we have you stand, you're going to do it, but you really probably shouldn't be right now. So let's read this. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth, in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will, so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. That's good stuff. I turn over to Ephesians chapter 2. And look at this. Let's talk about where we used to be. And you were dead in your trespasses and sin, in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the sons of disobedience. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. And we were by nature children under wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he has for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to walk into. Our passages are thick with the believer's security in Christ. Look at these great words. Blessed, chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Predestined, adopted, grace, lavished, redemption through his blood, forgiven, riches of his grace, wisdom, understanding, mystery, inheritance, sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, and then the Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession, that being you. 
until the redemption of that possession as you see him face to face, having navigated this world system that's dark, having Satan and the cronies throwing darts at you all the way down the timeline, and you get to the other side, and you're saying, the glory here is not worthy to be compared to what we went through back there. Look at this. Look at how awesome this is. Never once did God intend for you to doubt that you're going to get there if you placed your faith in Christ. Never once. I will tell you who wants you to. The enemy wants you to. He wants you to believe that God would unadopt you. We're going to focus on this term, adoption, because there's a lot of terms there, right? And they, I've got about 35 minutes or so. And there's no way to work through all of that. I'm going to challenge you, please go back and read the whole book of Ephesians. It's thick with your security. You can't miss it. And there's some people that already, as, as you're working through this, whether you're here or you're watching now or later, are working through that whole once saved, always saved statement, right? And, and, you're, and you're processing that and going, yeah, but I, mm, uh, mm, uh. read Ephesians. But here, let me throw this out at you. How about we change the discussion and we go to once adopted, always adopted, I'm an adopted kid. I was adopted out of Dallas, Oregon as a little curmudgeon. I don't know why my parents gave me up. I don't know what happened. It was a closed adoption. But I was in Dallas, Oregon, and Ed and Francis McCollin showed up and did everything that needed to be done with the judicial system, everything legally, all the things that needed to be paid for. I was just a little kid. I didn't know. It all got done, and they picked me up and took me back to their house, and guess what I was? I'm a Colin. It's who I was. And you know what? I ran amok. I lead the addictions victory group for a reason, folks. Because God rescued me out of a lot of crud. And I put Ed and Francis, Franny, <laughs> through a lot. But never once, never once did I think that they were going to kick me to the curb and unadopt me. Not once. It would be tragic to think that somebody would actually bring a child into the home and they got a little hard and they said, that's it. And I'm confident that the house did not do that with little Maggie. And, you know, Maggie comes out of that dark life, right? She's, all she's known is what she knew until they brought her into the home. I imagine after she got saved, she still had a lot to work through. And imagine how tough that would be on them and to think that they would go, ooh, you... You're just a little harder than we thought. I mean, you know, hanging out with murderers and all. I, di I didn't know it would be this hard, though. As we work through this, I just want us to be able to reframe some of the discussion because it, sometimes we get hung up on, on that statement. We get hung up on terms. But adoption is to be placed as a child into a family permanently. That's what adoption means. It's permanent. And when Paul used that term, he had something in mind that he wanted us to really understand why he threw that term in the midst of that in a Roman culture. Huge, right? One of the things we got to understand is this. The adopted child is a wanted child. There's a lot of kids that get born into this world, but not all of them are wanted. True? I mean, I don't know why my birth parents gave me up, but boy, am I thankful they did. God sent me on the trajectory I'm on, and here I am with you all. 
And I know the darkness I come out of, and I know the battle it was, and I know the battle it was for my wife as she got saved before me. But I think about all of it worked its way out because God works all things together for good for those who love him called according to his purpose. It's what Romans 8.28 says. And I can look back now and be 56 years old now and say at 22 years old, when he reached into my life and transferred me from that darkness into light, I can relate to little Maggie Carson. And by the way, when I started reading the Bible after I got saved, I started coming across the term adoption in Ephesians and the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. It comes up. And that I understood. And it helped me grab a hold of truth from his word that's taking me down the timeline, even though I got saved as an addict and I had a lot to work through in my heart and mind. But I, I started understanding God's brought me into the family. And even though I'm wrestling, he's not kicking me out. That's the term adoption. That child is wanted. Shows up, comes in. Ephesians 1.5 said this, he predestined us to be adopted as sons, children through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, wanted to the good pleasure of his will for you. And here's the thing. If you've come into this room or you're watching this now and you have not placed your faith in Christ yet, guess what? He wants you. The same way he wanted Maggie Carson. And by the way, he wanted all those thieves that were teaching those little curmudgeons how to do really wicked things. He wanted their hearts too. And so in the midst of this, if that child is wanted... You see, when it comes to adoption, that child is chosen. The child is chosen. When the Apostle Paul, moved by the Spirit, penned the words in Ephesians and Romans and Galatians, and he chose to use this particular word, understand this. The Jewish culture had no adoption process. If something happened and you had to go off and live with another family, it was kin, you went off with family. You would go, but there was no process in the Jewish culture to now make that child the father's own child wasn't done. They didn't have that. But you know who did? The Romans did. The Romans had that. And Paul's using that term in, to Rome, to Ephesus, and to the region of Galatia for a reason. Because all these folks were sitting underneath a Roman system that when he used that term, they would have gone, oh, that's what that means. I want to read something to you. Uh, with regards to this, I think it's really important when it comes to this Roman adoption. The Roman adoption was always rendered more serious and more difficult by the Roman patria potestis. The patria potestis was the father's power over his family. That power was absolute. It was actually the power of absolute disposal and control. And in the early days, it was actually the power of life and death. In regard to his father, a son, a Roman son, never came of age. No matter how old he was, he was still under the patria potestis, in the absolute possession and under the absolute control of his father. Obviously, this made adoption into another family very difficult and a very serious step, but the Romans had a process. Check this out. In adoption, a person had to pass from one patria potestis to another. He had to pass out of the possession and control of one father into the equal, absolute control and possession of another. There were two steps. The first was known as emancipatio, and it was carried out by a symbolic sale in which copper and scales were symbolically used. Three times the symbolism of sale was carried out. Twice the father symbolically sold his son, and twice he brought him back. And the third time he did not buy him back, and thus the patria potestis was held to be broken. After the sale, there followed a ceremony called the vindicatio, 
The adopting father went to the Praetor, one of the Roman magistrates, and presented a legal case for the transference of the person to be adopted into his patria potestas. When all this was completed, the adoption was complete. Clearly, this was a very serious and impressive step. But it's the consequences of adoption which are more significant for the picture that Paul has in mind for us all. There were four main consequences. The first one was this. The adopted person lost all rights to his old family and gained all the rights of a fully legitimate son in his new family. In the most literal sense and in the most legally binding way, he got a new father. It followed that he became heir to his father's estate. Even if other sons were born afterwards who were real blood relations, it did not affect his rights. He was inalienably co-heir with them. In law, the old life of the adopted person was completely wiped out. For instance, legally, all debts were canceled. They were wiped out as though they had never been. The adopted person was regarded as a new person entering into a new life with which the past had nothing to do. In the eyes of the law, the adopted person was literally and absolutely the son of the new father. This status could not be removed. And that's for us. And Paul wrote it so that we'd understand that. Isn't that good? Some of us are walking around holding baggage, guilt and shame, right now. And as you've placed your faith in Christ, he's saying, let me free you from that. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. Child of God, princess of heaven, prince of heaven, as you come to that throne of grace, I don't know how you've been behaving over the last 16 months. I don't know what's been going on in your lives, but this is never undone. And so when you know that your father will never leave you nor forsake you and nothing can snatch you out of his hand, why would you not run straight to him with whatever you're dealing with? And if you don't know this father yet, we're all just a bunch of beggars telling other beggars where to get bread. And the king handing out the bread wants you and his family. You know that Adam taught us to do something when he sinned? He ran behind bushes and hid. Taught us to do that. We have a tendency to start isolating when we're struggling. We have a tendency to hold back what's really going on in our hearts and minds when we're struggling. You know what Jesus came to do, according to Romans 5? Set you free from that so you can go to the throne of grace 24-7 over everything all the time, all the time. Hebrews chapter 4, 12 through 16 tells us the word of God is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword or scalpel. It's able to pierce through bone and marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And when God opens that up and he sees it, he, needs, he wants you to know something. I know your thoughts. I know your heart. I know what you've been up to. And I still love you. The price has been paid. So it goes on to say, you have a great high priest who sympathizes with your weaknesses. The one who went to the cross for you. The one who hung on the cross and cried out, it is finished for you. The one whose blood that was shed is the purchase price for your adoption for you. It goes on to say that great high priest, him, sympathizes with your weaknesses. He was tempted in every way as you are, but without sin so that you might come with confidence to the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in your time of need. Amen? No matter where you've been, if you haven't placed your faith in that Savior yet, he wants you. And, and in the midst of that, in that choosing process, that child of God then has an inheritance.
sitting in this room right now looking up at me and I see people that I know love our Savior. Y'all aren't perfect, by the way. Just to throw that out at you. (laughs) But you love our Savior. And you have an inheritance. Princes and princesses of heaven sitting here. You have an inheritance. The child has an inheritance. Verses 11 through 12 of our text say this, in him we have also received an inheritance because we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. And the text goes on to say this, in him you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. Let's stop right there for a second. He's wanted you, he's chosen you, brought you in, you have an inheritance. And then it says you're sealed by the Holy Spirit. That's the picture there. That very picture is this. The king sing it ring, and he writes a letter, and he seals it, and he puts the wax on the letter, and he goes, pain of death if anybody opens this up, but the person I'm sending it to, and eh, sealed. You. That's what that's saying. Sealed. When you heard the truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. Isn't that good? See, if we'll get into Ephesians, it'll settle our heart. Because Ephesians 6 then says, hey, put on the full armor of God because the cronies are showing up. Get the helmet of salvation on. Understand how you're saved. Get the breastplate of righteousness on. Protect your heart. Get your feet shod with this gospel. Walk into the good works he has for you. You're not perfect. He is. He'll do it through you. And the timeline, he's worked out for you to walk into all kinds of good things to do for his glory. Amen? Get the belt of truth on that holds it all together. Get that shield of faith up to extinguish the fiery darts. And then do this every day. Grab this sword and wield this sword, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God to take every thought captive, and to remember who you are, child of God. And don't let the satanic lies get you off kilter. If you've struggled, go to the throne of grace, and guess what? When you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to remove it and all the unrighteousness that led up to it. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if you do, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, who is your full payment, the propitiation of your Payment for sins, and not for yours only, but all the whole worlds. Which means then when you're walking to those good works, you don't know who God's chosen. True? You're just showing up as a beggar telling other beggars where to get bread and letting them know the king wants you in the family. Let God do the rest. Did you guys notice the term mystery that showed up in our text? It's a great word. Paul used it. The great apostle who understood the Old Testament really well. He used the term mystery. So when you go, I just can't wrap my head around this, you're in great company. (laughs) David, fathoming this in Psalm 139, says, these thoughts are too high for me. I can't wrap my mind around this. You're in good company. Don't think then, because you can't wrap your mind around it, when the apostle Paul called it a mystery and David said, these things are too lofty for me, I can't attain to it, that somehow it's not true. Doubt your doubts and believe God's word. Don't make the mistake of believing your doubts and doubting God's word. It'll keep you with hope. 
It'll keep you in peace. It'll take you all the way to your deathbed confident. God's never going to leave me nor forsake me. He promised that. Well, that child has an inheritance in the way that we're talking because Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life in John 6, 47. And and, and in the midst of that, that inheritance comes from your faith. We just read that, your belief. You believed, and so you were brought into the family. So how do I know if I was chosen? Do you believe? Romans 10, 9 through 11 says it this way. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth one confesses, resulting in salvation. Now the scripture says, no one who believes in him will ever be put to shame. So how do I know if I'm adopted? Well, do you believe? Could you turn to your neighbor right now and look at them and say, Jesus is my Lord. He did die for all of my sins. He cried out his finish for me. That precious blood shed on the cross was for me. Can you do it? If you can, if you can confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Lord and you believed in your heart, God rose him from the dead. And by the way, I checked the calendar on my phone this morning, still relates to Jesus. We are in 2021 AD. That relates to Jesus. He showed up, fully man, fully God, lived the perfect life you couldn't for 33 years, went to that cross so that you can cry out, it is finished with him. Because he said it was finished for you. Do you believe that? If you believe that, that means you were chosen. Okay, there's a mystery there. Don't get hung up on that because you're in good company, right? That child with the inheritance then, as we're working through these things, that child's secure. Secure children behave better, right? That child is secure. We, we're looking at that over and over again. That child is secure from the attempts of the enemy to try to tell that child that somehow when they sinned, they undid it. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 says this, you have a good father in heaven, he spanks. That's Matt's transliterated version. For the discipline of the Lord at the time doesn't seem pleasant, but it brings about righteousness. Okay, you go back and read Hebrews 12. Now, if you could lose your salvation, who's he disciplining? When it says he's disciplining his children, does he just say, well, you know what? I just think Dave over there, I'm just going to give him a little whack. Dave really didn't do anything wrong. I'm just going to discipline him. Whack, whack. That's not how that works. If one, if one of us does something wrong, guess what God does? If we won't actually bring it to him and confess, consequences play out. But you didn't undo your salvation. He's a good father. He disciplines his children is what Hebrews 12 says. And in the midst of that discipline, you have a great high priest. You can go right to the throne of grace and talk to God. He already knows. We're not hiding anything from him. Adam taught us to be like that. He's saying, I already know. Why are you not coming? Many of us at times are saved And we go and we do something we know is wrong and we go back to that prison cell and we sit down. But you know what? The door's open, folks. It's unlocked. He freed you. And the father is saying, child of God, princess of heaven, prince of heaven, will you take my hand? You can cry out, Abba, Father. I haven't given you a spirit of slavery leading to fear. I want you to reach out and tell me what you did, because it's really all about that. I already know what you did. I want you to share it with me so you know what you did. And as you confess it, and you know that Jesus paid for that, and you take it serious, come walk with me. That's what this is saying. You have that kind of security, that kind of access, and many of us wall around in shame and guilt and think, how could God love somebody like me? 
as I've known this truth, and now I've fallen into this. I'm drinking myself to sleep at night. I, I just don't know how I started. COVID just got me going. I'm struggling. I went back to this, that, or the other thing. Guys, some of us, you know, in the midst of this, there's things that we're getting on the computer and looking at, and we should not be looking at it. True? And then you go, how could God, if I'm really saved, how could I do this? He sat down in a prison cell with the door unlocked. Your father already knows and is saying, child, come to me. You live in a wicked world system. I'm not caught off guard by that. You have enemies that are throwing darts at you 24-7. I'm not caught off guard by that. And your own flesh, as Pete talked about it, has a tendency to gravitate towards those things, but I've given you the spirit as a helper. I want you to walk with me because I've got things for you to be about. And when? Right now. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart, is what Hebrews chapter 3 and 4 says. Right now, get it right. I didn't adopt you. I love you. Let's talk about one more illustration, a window into our souls, so to speak, of a man by the name of Peter. Because as we talk about secure children then behave better because of love, we understand this, that adoption price is the precious blood of Jesus, right? Well, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having a conversation with his disciples. And he made a statement that tonight, all of you are going to leave me. And Peter said, not me. I won't do it. Even if all of them fall away, I'm with you. Peter, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you. And when you come to your senses, strengthen your brethren. You're going to deny me tonight three times before the rooster crows. It's not going to happen. That conversation happens in all of the Gospels. I just combined a bunch of them together. But in John chapter 14, Peter has just gotten done having that conversation. Jesus is looking at him saying, tonight you're going to betray me. That's the end of John 13. John 14 starts off with this. Your heart must not be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If not, I would have told you. I am going away to prepare a place for you. If I go away and prepare a place for you, I will come back and receive you to myself so that where I am, you may also be. You know where I'm going. Lord, Thomas says, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then if you go forward, that's the first six verses. Go to verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And if you take John 13 and put your thumb over the 14, he just got done. He's still speaking to Peter. Peter, you're going to deny me tonight three times, but don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God and believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you, Peter. And yes, the rest of the room, but he's still talking to Peter. I go to a pray, you're going to deny me tonight, but I have work for you to be about. There's good works, Peter, for you to walk into. So when you come to your senses, when you finally get this love for me, and you understand secure children love Peter. When Peter receives the Holy Spirit, just like we talked about in Ephesians chapter 1, the seal and guarantee, the power of the resurrection flows through Peter. And what does he then go on to do? He preaches the day he gets that spirit and 3,000 people come to Christ. This doubter, denier. We're all in good company, folks. We've got to get this right. 
Because to get this wrong can leave us doubting the love of our God towards us. And wouldn't it be amazing to be able to go back and figure out what little Maggie went on to do, getting saved out of that kind of life? There's nothing really written about her after that. I imagine she walked into a lot of good works. We'll ask her when we get there. How about that? We'll have some time. We'll figure it out. I gave you a memory card. Jude 1, now I memorized it in this. In this uh, it's, I think that's Christian standard version on your card. But um, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence, blameless with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord. You catching that? He's going to make you stand in his presence, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority. Now catch this. Before all time and now and forever, amen. You could do far worse than memorizing that for yourself each and every day. He's going to be the one to keep you from stumbling. He's going to be the one you can talk to 24-7 because you're a child of God. Now, on the flip side of that, you know, Philippians 1.6, hey, be confident of this thing. He's going to finish the good work he began in you. He's a good father. The key is, what do you believe? Who have you placed your faith in? Will you trust him with the rest of your timeline? Today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. I'm going to be down here up front. Um, I'm going I'm to wrap up. There's some questions for us. But at the end of the service, after we worship, I'm just going to be here. If there's one of you all in this room that is saying, I need the Savior today, and I want to know I'm saved today. I'm looking at a man over here who did that with me. At the end of the most excellent way one night, he walked up to me and he said, you've got to prove to me this is true. His name was Hakeem. He was in Islam. And that night, he received Christ as his Savior And now he's Stephen sitting over here with his wife, with their children, because of what God did. And by the way, in Islam, you can't know where you're headed. He now knows. Amen? Your questions say this. How does the truth of God adopting his children impact your thinking with regards to your salvation? What about eternal security? Do you still have questions about how will you seek out answers? Let me suggest a couple books. Russell Moore, and you can write these down if you want. Russell Moore wrote the book called Adopted for Life. He adopted two children out of Russia. And then he, he takes that story and he, he ta- and he takes us here to what we just talked about. Awesome book. Awesome book. Charles Stanley wrote the book Eternal Security. Charles Stanley just like retired two weeks ago. He's like 88. You know, there's Caleb for you, right? Eternal Security, Can You Be Sure? Great book. Great book. Those two books, but I'm going to tell you another really good one, like the best ever, right here. Get into Ephesians. Read the whole letter. Read Romans. Read Galatians. Adoption comes up. You can't miss it. It stands to reason that if you could lose your salvation, folks, God would have spent a lot of time telling you in the, in the letter of Ephesians, he tells you how to get saved, how, how awesome it is, then what to be about, then how to do warfare. It stands to reason he would have put a big chunk in there about how you could undo this. It's not there. Let me pray with you all because that last question says this. Who has the Father strategically placed in your life that needs salvation? 
Who do you know that needs your king to adopt them? Who do you need to go to as a beggar telling other beggars about bread? God's put those good works in your path. And let me pray for you in that. Father, awesome God, I thank you so much for this time, for these precious folks, for your word that never comes back void. It always accomplishes what you send it out to do. And even as we now have taken time to dig into it, to chew on it, may it be as we walk out there, outside these walls, into that world, that we will shine brightly, and people who are trapped in darkness will come out of that darkness and enjoy this life truly secure in their inheritance because of what your son accomplished and what the Spirit of God will do in and through us all the way home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, being unsure of our uh, day-to-day salvation would definitely lead to fear. So we're going to sing this. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Yes, I am a child of God. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. Yes, I am a child of God. From my mother's womb, from my mother's womb, and you have chosen me. Your love has called my name. For I've been born again to your family. Your blood runs through my veins. And I'm no longer a slave to fear. Yes, I am a child of God, and I'm no longer a slave to fear, yes, I am a child of God, and I'm no longer a slave to fear, no, yes, I am a child. I am a child of God as I am surrounded by the arms of the Father and I am surrounded with songs of
Thanks for being here.